Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film High Fidelity. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. But if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that the plot will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Good evening. Did I hear an instantaneous chair squeak as I joined the call? <laughs> no, that was a fart. <laughs> Just a little a little tummy squeaker. <laughs> no, yes, I need to get rid of the squeaky chair, I know. I just I, well, I, I could bring up a one of the chairs from the table, but I'd have to lug it up the stairs and uh, I ain't, I ain't got time for that shit. No, exactly. That's far too much. We're on a we're on a very tight schedule with this podcast. Oh really? Yeah. No, we're not really. <laughs> I was gonna say, if we gotta we've gotta talk at double speed. Yes we have. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. How's your week been going? It's been alright, yeah. I have been um playing the new Tomb Raider game for work. Ooh. Um There's a new Tomb Raider. There is. There is consistently new Tomb Raider games. Um, they took a little bit of a break where they sort of realigned it and came up with some very good, much more dramatic games, uh, much more cinematic games. Um, the first two were penned by um, Rihanna Pratchett as well. Cool. And they were incredibly well written. This one wasn't, but it's also very, very good. Excellent. Um, and uh, and yes, so spoiler alert, it's it's rather good. What platform is this on? It is on everything basically um apart from i don't think the nintendo switch so it's on playstation for xbox one and pc can i get it on my mobile phone i highly doubt it Um, (laughs) uh, i was just thinking that because um obviously Fortnite is so hot right now and apparently there's a version of that you can play on your mobile i'm never going to play it because it's not really my (laughs) thing but like i feel like it's actually not bad because there's no it's apparently it's cartoony violence so it's not loads of blood and stuff it's not like call of duty right yeah although i yeah i i I think if you're going to criticize violence it doesn't matter if it's cartoony or not it's still you know if you're going to put it into the hands of youngsters um, yeah i I suppose yeah there should there's definitely should be better age limits cultural awareness etc for sure but it's good that a thing that's that big and that popular is playable on mobile Yes, exactly. Um, and, and there's more and more games that aren't reliant on uh, cinematics and 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 having great graphics are able to make that step. So Minecraft, you can basically play on everything apart from your toaster. Mm. Um, what? Which is... I want it on my toaster and I want it now. <laughs> just um, just coming out. Yeah, just your toast comes out with a little, um, what are they called, those exploding zombies in Minecraft? Creepers, just a little creeper on it. One of those little Lego boys. Yes, one of the little little angry Lego men. <laughs> yeah. Apparently people get very upset if you call it computer Lego. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Um, yes, and uh, it, particularly given that Lego made their own kind of version um, of Minecraft, which I don't think did that well. Did they? Yeah. 
Oh, what, they recently, tra- as a response to Minecraft? Yeah, so it, I, I don't think it was recent, as in recent. What was it called? Uh, Linecraft. <laughs> Legocraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that makes sense. But the smart thing to do, really, would have been for them to try and partner up with Minecraft. But I guess they see it as being two things that are competing in a weird way. Yeah, so, so they've released Lego minecraft sets which is very weird so you can buy you can buy a lego that's minecraft based hmm. um yeah i'm trying to find what it was called it's called like lego worlds or something similar yeah. um, and basically they tried to, to do their own minecraft if it doesn't have the everything is awesome song from the lego movie in it i am not interested <laughs> if it doesn't have will ferrell yeah um being will ferrell then, you know, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. Oh, Will Ferrell. I feel like he gets a bad rep. I think we've talked about this before. He's not He's not as misunderstood as Adam Sandler, but he's he's still misunderstood, <laughs> I reckon. He's he's more misunderstood than Adam Sandler because Will Ferrell has, has done some really good performances and a lot of his movies that were funny back in the day have maintained being funny. Yeah. Um, so you can go back and watch Anchorman and it's still incredibly funny these days. Yeah, Anchorman, e- even now. though... It's quoted all the time by idiots. I still feel like it's funny and I still feel like it's good. So that's, is, that's yeah. the mark of a truly good film. Yeah, because you'll often have those big comedies that where the sort of key takeaway lines become, you know, a, a thing in their own right, like I love lamp and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but there's something about Anchorman that's still incredibly funny. A bit like um, the original Lost in Powers is still funny. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> It's got that great scene where he's trying to turn that car around in that tiny corridor. And he I honestly, do I don't think I've seen it in a good 12 years, probably more. So I it imagine is, if it, we were to revisit it, could we Could we watch it for this? It has romance in it. I, I think it's a stretch. Yeah. Um, it, it's still what, funny. Has, I, I when has that ever stopped us back. before? <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it a couple of years back and it is still funny. The, the sequels are terrible. I remember at the time everyone saying that the second um, Austin Powers was funnier than the first, but that is literally just a load of quotable lines. Um, was that but, Gold Member? No, I think that was the third one. The second one had um, Fat Bastard in it, the Scottish oh. character. Um, and and it is it is not funny um, because a lot of what made the original Lost in Powers funny for people was the way that it sort of made fun of um, of of like the James Bond movies of the seventies. Yeah, and and that was what made it funny was the way that it sort of hammed up all of those elements. It wasn't the fact that he had those catchphrases, which do deserve to be mocked. Yes, yeah, the catchphrases and everything are 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 like a like it's kind of like a a sort of side gig to what the real comedy was, which was kind of jokingly, lovingly mocking these Roger Moore, yeah. James Bond movies and like the later Sean Connery ones. Should we talk about Bond for a minute before we get into this week's film, which is High Fidelity? I can never decide whether I like Bond or whether I think it's a big load of bollocks. <laughs> I I quite like Bond. Um I- I haven't seen any. I haven't seen. I don't think. I think the like the most recent one I saw was actually Quantum of Solace, which was really, really terrible. A, re- <laughs> a real shit piece. The very definition of a shit piece. See, I, I, I have, I have mixed feelings about um, Quantum of Solace because I like the fact that they tried to do something different with the villain, 
um, and try and make it more sort of like relatable to the modern day. But at the same time, the plot was overly convoluted. And like the fact that there were some decent set pieces didn't really make up for the fact that it was a bit of a mess story-wise. The villain is a sort of Elon Musk smokes a joint and joins the Green Party kind of figure, right? Yeah, and then uses the Green Party contacts to then exploit people. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, it's quite clever the way that it it deals with the modern day crazy billionaire. Yeah. Um um much like there was that there, there's that not particularly good Pierce Brosnan Bond movie where the villain is an egomaniac. I I beg um, your pardon. Like media mogul. Uh, who's basically like um, a cross between um, like Max Clifford and a rabid Wolverine, um, <laughs> and and Jacob Rees-Mogg. If you mix all of them together <laughs> into one oh, character, um, and um, and yeah, and it was like, oh, that's a really interesting villain and in a bad movie. And I kind of felt the same thing about Quantum of Solace. Um, but that, See, but that does mean that you've not seen. Um, <laughs> no i have not honestly i think so much of it is to do with the titles skyfall and specter they just sound so stupid they sound like they don't sound like bond to me and now i sound like the kind of tedious person who has the idea of what bond is that you can't deviate from you know which is only one step away from being a racist who will be really upset about the idea of idris elba playing bond which so is padded. a tired thing but I, I don't know. Skyfall just seems like a dumb name. It um, Bond like, film... like Thunderball, for instance, is a definitely good name for a movie. That is brilliant. Yeah, that's good. But Skyfall, really? <laughs> Come on. I have, I have no problem with Skyfall or Spectre, particularly given that Spectre is the name of an organisation that was already entrenched in Bond history. Um, and, and I think some of the previous ones had much worse names. See, the first laptop I had at work in this job was called a Hewlett Packard Spectre and it was shit. <laughs> so that's all that I think of when I hear that the film is called Spectre. The Spectre is the name of the big bad organization across multiple Bond movies pretty right. much from day one. Right. Um, yeah. It is not named after your bad work laptop. <laughs> oh, I, I just assumed that it was because <laughs> everything's about me. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Because I, 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 I have mixed feelings about Bond. I kind of have a little bit of love for every era of Bond and I find them entertaining movies. But I find the way that they're revered as this great thing a little bit strange. Um, with the exception of the most recent Bonds, which I think have really tried to do something a bit different, um, where you've got a star who realises that James Bond as a character is a sociopath who should not be lauded as a hero. Um, and you've got directors who are trying to desperately insert levels of humanity and complexity and 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 things like theme and imagery into this series that previously had had like almost an allergic reaction to those things so i've got a lot of time for the for the um for the daniel craig era of bond movies um skyfall is a is a great um great thriller in its own right really you'd go as far as great yeah it's a really great movie it's got a uh, got a fantastic villain um aside from the fact that it has some terrible cgi komodo dragons in it in one scene for like no goddamn reason um apart from that it's a really good film like across the board now that's the kind of thing that would make me want to watch it (laughs) um but but i've got a bit of love for every every era you know you've got to love roger moore playing a a billionaire playboy spy 
shooting lasers in space. You know? Yeah. Uh, you've got to love Pierce Brosnan being Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, Goldeneye is still my fave. Well, Goldeneye just, is is a fantastic it is awesome. movie. It's really good. Obviously, um, so much of that has to do with the game as well, but it is genuinely a very good film. But the thing is that the game has aged terribly. The film has not. The film is really good still. What do you mean the game has aged terribly? When I play a video game, I want all my character, non-player characters to look like they're made of nothing but shoulders. <laughs> well, the, 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 the issue of the game isn't just the graphics. Well, the, I, I don't really... I play lots of old games that look like they're made out of bits of cardboard held together by string. Um, but the, but the main issue is that the controls are absolutely terrible. It's it's, it's yep. nearly impossible to play these days because there's been so many advancements in how those kind of action games play. Um, it is it is awkward as all hell. Golden this Eye. goes back to what I was saying about the original Star Fox, isn't it? Like I imagine if I'd have played that only maybe around the same time as well back in the Mega Drive SNES days because I didn't have it at the time. I'd have probably thought it was fine, but now I've tried to play it on the SNES Mini and it is genuinely impossible. It is like the controls are so unresponsive that I can't believe anyone ever accepted that as a game. But there was a lot less going on back in the, the Victorian days. You know? <laughs> we had your, your hoop and stick and yeah. you had your Super Nintendo. And the hoop wasn't very responsive. You'd hit it with the stick and nothing would happen. You'd have to wait a good 10 seconds. Not like roll. these days with our with our infrared sticks. Yeah, instantaneous rolling. Hoops. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of nostalgia, this week's film is High Fidelity, which is a sort of a nostalgic film in itself, and a film that I kind of have nostalgia for in a way. So I think it's a good it was a good choice. What did you so? I d- I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you've seen this before. I have, yeah, yeah. How many times? So I think I'd only seen it a couple of times. Um, I know a lot of people really, really loved this movie, um, and I, but I, I still watched it a couple of times, and I've read the book a couple of times as well. Oh yeah, um, but it's not something that I have sort of like tattooed on my arm. No, um, it, it's it's not a and and much like the rest of Nick Hornby's stuff, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't feel like an overwhelming love for it. I understood why people enjoyed it and I appreciated them as, as good books, but um, but I didn't find that huge emotional connection with them, I suppose. Yeah. So how old were you when you read Nick Hornby's books then? Um, so I was probably from when I was about 19. Yeah. See, I remember reading High Fidelity when I was about 15. And I think it was a real, it's the same as the catcher in the rye for a lot of people. I was very, I was in that frame of mind to really, really engage with it, you know, in a, you know, a flawed, problematic, masculinist way, but also just in terms of how we approach music and how we deal with things and finding out about relationships and that kind of thing. And sort of championing the fact that you, you can be a bit mediocre and still get away with it. And it was it came at me at the right time, so I think I, it will always be a book that affected me in that way. But I imagine if I reread it now, I wouldn't feel the same. But yeah, to me, I remember thinking it was really, really good, and then thinking that the film was also good. I, I think I actually kind of I think I actually did see the film first and then read the book, and then went back to the film as a consequence. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the book a lot as it when I was in that 
impressionable age range, should we say. And then from there, I, I thought Nick Hornby's writing was good and I read most of his other books, but I haven't re- really read him much as an adult. Yeah, and, and so I yeah, so I came to Nick Hornby's stuff a little bit later. Um, so I think, and for me, I think it always um, held that same position um, as as stories like Fight Club for me, where it's a, for me at least, and I know that a lot of people came at this thinking about um, Robert Fleming or Robert Gordon, depending on which which method you first came across this story, um, as a kind of flawed hero. Um, whereas for me, I think maybe because I came at it a little bit later, um, you see those parallels with with like insecure masculinity um, but in reality, he is not a heroic figure, and instead, the book is more about um, about coming to terms with your own darkness and uh, coming to terms with the way that masculine culture has warped you into something that you never thought you were. Yeah, but do you do you feel like the book, well, both the book and the film? Do you do you feel like they do that, but they also kind of champion mediocrity? that they kind of almost glorify the idea that as a man it's okay to be mediocre and that you you shouldn't really strive to better yourself because i that was something that i kind of took from it this time around i still it, i did enjoy rewatching it actually more than i was expecting to but that element of it was something that i found problematic see i didn't feel that about the movie i remember thinking that about the book when i read it the first time that there was a very big glorification and it's something that i really found infuriating in other people um that so there was there was this element i recognized in the book that was very heavy in the book and not so heavy in the film um i think because you've got that additional layer of detachment from being directly spoken to by rob fleming at all times in the movie rob gordon is detached at multiple times where he's not speaking directly to you um and i found that in the book there was very much this kind of it's okay to be in pain and it's okay to revel in your misery through music and music is all about pain yeah and it's yeah. okay to be bad yeah because it's a flaw and you're all right, it's all right to be flawed and I, and I found that in the film it made a much more it, it didn't try to tie you up as much in those feelings and instead it tried to portray reality a little bit more and that made the moments where Rob Gordon realizes and I'm talking about the character, not myself in third person, by the way, for anyone <laughs> listening to this episode. Thinking, I, I think he's we'll, talking about um, himself in third person. I think we'll let the listeners make up their own minds about that. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I felt that in the film, it was cast a bit more of a critical eye on it and it allowed you to witness him. And there's still those moments where I think it's not necessarily accurate. Like, I, I don't think that it, um, where it looks like he's about to break away and and start a relationship or start a flirtatious relationship with the um with the music journalist near the end of the film i don't think it's as critical of that as it should be but i think it's much more critical in the film than it is in the book yes i think you're right for sure and yeah there there's just yeah i think a lot of it actually has to do with the narration as well isn't like you say that you took that more from the book because the book is in first person and that that connection that you have with reading a book in first person where it's always being told to you as something that is impossible to fully translate to the screen although the movie gets probably 60 to 70 percent of the way there with a lot of his monologues 
which I think are actually done in quite a charismatic way by John Cusack. I'd say his performance in this film is good, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's brilliant in this movie. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he he does a great job. And I think if it had been something who played it woodenly or who look you know who had a smug face or was perhaps even a bit more conventionally attractive not to say that john cusack isn't a handsome man but if it had been a ryan gosling type this might have been a very very different film you know what i'm saying yeah i i get you there's there's a there's a reality to his performance in this which i think really brings it home and and the way that it fluidly shifts between monologue and conventional dramatic scene i think really works in its favor so it will start with him talking directly to the audience, but then it will shift to him discussing things with another character on screen. Or it'll shift to showing things through action, whereas in the book it's purely that kind of direct contact between the reader and Rob Fleming. Yeah, so in the book he, he narrates all of the scenes that we that we see in the film. So And the, the film, it, it really it nods to the book in a really nice way as well. Like a lot of the lines are actually lifted directly from the book, which is great. It sort of took the ones that would work most on screen and did that really well. And I think that's a, a credit to the people who wrote the screenplay and to the direction as well. It was directed by Stephen Frears, who is something of a British institution, would you say? Yeah, I'd say so. He done The Queen. Mm-hmm. And my beautiful laundrette, which we studied at university. Yes, the the most eighties of all films. Yeah, well, wasn't it like early nineties, but early enough that it was still made in the eighties? I guess was it. I thought it was late eighties. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I know. Take, I think or maybe I've right. just I've just I've just misremembered. Um, but it but it feels unbelievably eighties, doesn't it? Oh no, no, you you're right. I'm totally wrong. Nineteen eighty five, right in there. Um, and yeah, and yeah, that, that's a really fascinating movie about about sort of relationships and everything like that, and and um, and eighties uh, UK culture as well. It's a really good sort of yeah um, sort of combination of all of those sort of cultural clashes. It's a great movie. It's written by Hanif Qureshi, who teaches creative writing, but has also said in multiple interviews that he believes creative writing cannot be taught. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued about those classes then. Yeah, interesting guy. I'd like to take one of his classes. You would just literally be sitting there in silence and if you tried to say anything, it's like, I've got nothing to teach you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just have to stare at the wall for two hours and pay him lots of money. <laughs> but creative writing is something that can be taught. Of course, yeah. It's it's a craft. It's, yeah. Yeah. That that kind of that talent myth is nonsense, isn't it? Yes, it's it's silly. Sorry, yeah. mate, you are silly by you suggesting silly. that it can't be taught. And and, and that's the kind of... Uh, and what I was saying before about that kind of... Um, that kind of idea and that kind of, like, passion. Like, people saying, oh, you can't teach creative writing. It's a fire that comes within you and it's something that you just learn from experience. And it's the same thing that, that um, Rob Gordon slash Rob Fleming's character shows in High Fidelity. And a lot of the people that that kind of love the book have that same kind of feeling where it's like musical is this crazy other thing that you can never quite truly understand and yeah. it unleashes all these emotions in you that you can never truly understand. So, yeah you can it's music yeah but what's it yeah what's really good is that actually the film addressed that in a way that the book didn't in a way that you felt like the film had almost listened to that criticism of the book because there's one scene where um 
which I think I'm 90% certain that it isn't in the book, but there's their friend who is, um, I think his name is Lewis, maybe. And he's only in this one scene and all three of them. So you've got, you've got John Cusack, he's Rob Gordon. He's the guy who owns the shop and he's got his two employees, Dick and Barry, played by um, Todd Luizzo and Jack Black, who are both very, very good in this. And um, they are... Um, there's a guy who's like there's like a nerd customer and Jack Black's taking the piss out of him and he's got he wants this record off Jack Black and Jack Black's like mm, I don't want to give it to you this time and the guy's like you said that last week and then he goes away and then he just like sells it to to their friend and then the friend is like why would you sell it to me and not to him and he's like because you're not a oh, what's I can't remember the word he uses does he call like, him a geek yeah because you're not a geek Lewis and then Lewis is like you guys are snobs and that's that's exactly it there's that kind of there's a snobbish ideal of listening to music in that film, which I think some people, the, the detractors of the, of both the film and the book always say that it just promotes kind of musical snobbery, but the film is more knowing about it than the book. Yeah. And, and I'd say that it's quite clear in its intentions to circumvent that as well. Um, much in the same way that, that, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world or fight club do the same thing um, where, it, it you know high fidelity's happy ending is all of them enjoying a covers band chilling out yeah it completely ignoring all of um all of their previous preoccupation with with the sort of quality and sanctity of music or the complexity of relationship and things like that so i'd say it's quite clear in its intention to kind of just you know shift the rug a little bit under those who hold those kind of ideals yeah a covers band fronted by a gyrating quite young jack black actually yes yeah this um, is and, this and film came he's... out in 2000 i think i thought so... it was yeah was it a little uh, bit earlier than that let's see yeah 2000 it must have been early that year so it, yeah. it would have been made in 99 but yeah it's preschool of rock and um and yes it's a it's a it's a young young jack black um who is the most vicious of music snobs in the movie um and he is the one who's basically fronting this covers band um at the end and everyone's digging it and it's going down a treat and and i think that's sort of like the main takeaway isn't it is like you try and put all of this ridiculous complexity and you try and build up all these fabrications of pain and hardship um, for the music that you listen to and for the life that you lead. But in reality, um, you need a bit of self-reflection and to recognise what makes you happy. And I'd say that that's the, the, the key sort of like message of the movie. I think the the um, the book is a little bit more up its own arse, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the right word for it, sure. I mean, I, I can't remember it enough to to say that statement with conviction but i'm sure that if i was to read it if i were to read it again i would find that it is up its own ass yeah are you enjoying the cat cam by the way i am very much enjoying that i thought you'd just moved to give me a view of your tartan trousers but now i <laughs> no. see that a cat has come into the frame it's yes Minnie has come inside. look at all that fur she is unbelievably fluffy she is 99 fluff one percent yeah. spite oh that's a good ratio. It is a good ratio. She's been very cuddly tonight, actually. Yeah, she's liking those scratches. Mm, she is. She's quite an affectionate cat in general. But I do oh. feel that there might be a sudden shift in a couple of minutes where she might start attacking the microphone or the mixing okay. desk, which she is known to do. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs>
I was actually going to pan down. I was actually going to start by showing you my trousers. I'm going to pan down, <laughs> but I'm wearing um, I'm wearing baseball trousers, and I just oh, got right. them. This is my I finally become a pro, and I've got my first pair of baseball trousers. They might be the most comfortable pair of trousers I have ever owned, and oh, even amazing. though they're like basically skin tight, kind of like lycra, they're weirdly flattering as well. I was like looking at myself in the mirror, going like, "Hey, how are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> just be- just before we started recording, and yeah, I, I get why people why baseball players wear these these trousers now. They're really great. They're the, oh, the trousers that lead detractors to say that they're pajamas, which they're they're, they're kind of a little bit pajamery, but I'm really enjoying them and they're really comfortable. They're like yoga pants. Yeah, exactly. Baseball is my yoga. There we go. Yeah, yeah. So I'm it's... just wearing some tartan pajamas tonight. Very because... nice. I think every man should own some tartan pajamas. I I I have a pair. Good, excellent. Yeah, but yeah, Jack Black. I mean, I I have a lot of time for Jack Black. I think he is another person who's a bit misunderstood and gets a bad rep. People think he he's a bit of a Sandler esque dummy, but in this he's very funny. In School of Rock, he's very very funny. Tenacious D's output I enjoyed a lot at the time when we were teenagers. Again, it might not have aged well, but he's done some good stuff, you know. Yeah, and I, I think the the main thing to take away from from Jack Black is that a lot of his successes come in children's movies. Yeah, and you can't. Panda. Yeah, and and like you can't judge a man by how much kids enjoy his films and kind and kind of try and uh, like scoff at that. Like yeah. films like School of Rock and things like that uh, are enjoyable for kids and for adults at the same time. Same with some of the Kung Fu Panda movies, but like some of those other stuff has purely been aimed at children and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and it's I'd, I'd like, say that, that that's the difference with Sandler where a lot of his comedy is trying to be raunchy. Yeah. Um, what Sandler should more, be doing is kids films. Yeah. He should do some kids films. Don't invite Rob Schneider along to Hell be a no. European gigolo in any of his kids movies. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a word that kids should know. No, they shouldn't know. You don't see Sesame Street them teaching the kids how to spell gigolo, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Big Bird, male gigolo. Although, is there such thing as a <laughs> female gigolo? <laughs> no, I think gigolo is an exclusively male yeah. venture, isn't it? We need to get Rob Schneider on the line to defend himself. <laughs> yes, come on, Rob. We know you're listening. Get on yeah. board. He loves the show. He listens every week. He's just waiting for yes, us to I do a film he that he's in and then hear about how much that he can go away and then he'll stop <laughs> listening. <laughs> Although Jack Black is in the film Shallow Hal, which I believe is problematic. I've actually never seen it. Have you? No, I've not seen it either. It's the thing where he he, he sees fat women as thin women. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. And then somehow it's all kind of all right in the end. I assume it's like a Disney film where everything's fine because she's a princess. I uh, well, I, I imagine that the end is that he realizes that that um, that beauty is only skin deep. Yeah, and beauty is in the eye of a beholder. I suppose true, true beauty is within, but she's actually not fat. Oh really? I thought that. I think that's how it goes down. Oh, that's a bit silly. Yeah. Yeah, but in this, he's very, very good. And I love, um, in High Fidelity, I mean, I love all the moments where um, they are lifted from the book where he sasses the customers and like has little fights, <laughs> actual fights with Rob. And he, like little things like the um, 
Rob grabs onto his jacket and he's like, this is vintage. He just, I will fucking suck your nose. Like, who says that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those moments are, those moments are great. Um, and, and all of those little interactions between the characters are really nice, particularly in the shop. You kind of get a real sense for who they are and you kind of hate them, but kind of love them at the same time. Yeah, or well, you, you can't hate on Dick. No, exactly. He's great. He's the, the kind of the nervous, quiet guy. He's always he's bringing in the the nice tapes, and then he gets a nice girlfriend who likes stiff little fingers. That's very nice. Yes, it's a nice little nice little happy ending for him. Everyone yeah. has a happy ending, kind of. Yeah, apart from possibly Tim Robbins. Uh, does he deserve a happy ending? No, he does not. <laughs> he he escaped from prison only to get here and be a dick in high fidelity (laughs) yeah after everything he's been through (laughs) (laughs) Um, he was he was abused in that film mystic river you know yeah have you ever seen the film jacob's ladder no i have not that's a great horror movie with him in yeah um again he goes through not particularly pleasant things as well he's got this is one of the few things i've seen him in where um where good things happen to him. And he's also in this really good, and actually I might suggest this for a future episode of the podcast at some point. It's this kind of sci-fi dystopian romance movie called Code 42 or something like that. And it's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of like a a sort of dystopian romance thing. And that's very clever, all to do with like genetics and things. Um, and yeah, so he's 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 not been in you know he's not that happy in a lot of stuff. His old his old Tim Robbins. No, he has a difficult time of it. And in um in High Fidelity, he's not in it much, but he is in a very I've got to say Tommy Wiseau esque sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> but deliberately Tommy Wiseau esque. Yeah, although obviously this is six years before the room, so maybe Tommy Wiseau picked up some tips. But yeah, his kind of long long-haired lovemaking is is very <laughs> wizoian yes and, and it, it's deliberately played for laughs because it's it's um rob gordon the character not me sort of uh angrily fantasizing about what might be going on and how and how tim robbins is this incredible lover um and yeah it, it's it takes on this suddenly sort of like soft focus daytime movie <laughs> vibe it's very funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and obviously the the use of music is very very good, very kind of pitch perfect, and it's the the setting is translated from London to Chicago, and that works. And the music is just kind of subtly adapted in that direction, while still maintaining most of the original music that is referred to in the book, which is good. So stuff like when they do their top five all time side one track ones, and that's the same as the book, I think. And his selections aren't bad. Janie Jones, The Clash. Smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> Jack Black says, "How couldn't you be any more any more obvious? How about fucking Beethoven?" <laughs> <laughs> Which really made me chuckle. Yeah, it's it's a it's a neat little, a, 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 and and that's the other thing is that a lot of those moments again they're sort of they're sort of telling you, hey, these guys are snobs, and you know they're they're kind of ticking the ball of the boxes for being musical elitists. Yeah. Like when he, he sasses a man out of the shop for asking for, I just called to say I love you. Yeah, yeah, and the guy's exactly. like, oh, sorry, I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing at what they're doing to him, but you are also like, the you are 
you know that they're assholes. Yes, yeah, exactly. But they're still compelling. And again, that is an art as well. The whole thing of creating characters that are likable, but not necessarily... No, sorry, compelling, but not necessarily likable. Because likable characters are not necessary. It's a myth. Yes, exactly. And and it again, it all comes down to... Um, the audience expectations of going into a movie like this and expecting there to be a likable main lead. And so for the longest time, it tries to lead you on into thinking that he is the sympathetic character. So it's like, oh, we'll go over all of these relationships where, where, you know, things went wrong for him um, and stuff like that. And, and, and um, so he visits, he visits all of his exes um, and sort of asks, why did it go wrong? Yeah. And that's when the sort of shift happens, I suppose. And there's there's these little hints throughout that you're like, oh, wait, this guy might not be that great. And I, and I think that that's the other thing that happens in the movie that's really, that works really well, is when he's with his sort of high school sweetheart, you recognise him as being a jerk. And yeah. that, that that's not really there in the book in the same way. Yeah. And it waits She until... tells him, fuck you, in the restaurant and storms yeah. off. Yeah, and like and like that all kind of happens in the in the book, but you you kind of understand that actually maybe he's not the greatest human being much earlier on in the film than you do in the book. Yeah, the um, book is actually much more based around the idea of the the five exes and going through all that stuff, whereas in the film that's kind of almost like a middle section, and the film is actually more about narrating his relationship with Laura and about the music scenes and the pieces to camera and all of that stuff, and it's still a very faithful adaptation. But the book keeps returning to that narrative in a way that the film doesn't, and I think that's a good thing. Yes, for sure. I, th- I think um, I think the book is much better paced as a way to keep you engaged and as a way to tell the themes and the correct kind of story um, that you want to see and that's important to see. Yeah, um, for sure. Whereas, whereas the book almost feels like a, se- a series of vignettes. Um, it feels even though it's much more sort of scattergun in its approach the movie somehow feels a bit more like cohesive yeah would you say he in both the book and the film as this seems to be the compare the book to the film episode mostly from me is would you say he's an unreliable narrator i think the mm, and i think this is one of the issues where movie versus book really comes to itself it's very hard to tell an unreliable narrator through cinema um because the general expectation is that what you see is the reality or it's some kind of fabrication and when it comes to the fabrication it's often done in some kind of cheesy way where it's like he was hallucinating or or whatever and i I, bruce willis is a ghost bruce willis is a ghost um spoiler alert the sixth sense <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler alert for <laughs> die hard um, Sorry, die hard in a graveyard yeah die, die die hard um die hard two die harder was actually he was a ghost all along <laughs> you um, know that every film is some approximation of die hard now because we had skyscraper which is die hard in a building and then what's that football one which is die hard in a football stadium um final score that's the one where i I tweeted if you haven't seen it go on our twitter account because i tweeted about how much this looks like the kind of stupid film that we would come up with on here (laughs) like there's a football stadium right and pierce brosnan 
as like a, ma- a mean man and Dave Bautista's got to get a gun and save him from blowing up all the football and like yeah and how much the poster looks like your excellent poster for the film Opposite Day. But it is almost an exact retelling of Jean-Claude Van Damme's sudden death where it's that but in ice hockey. Oh really? Which itself is basically die hard but at the ice hockey. <laughs> die hard on an ice rink. Yes exactly Um, because die hard die hard was a very original film. Um, so much so that everybody wanted to steal it instantly. Did you, did you know it's a Christmas film? Yeah, people tell me every fucking time it's Christmas. <laughs> what's your What's your favourite Christmas film? Die Hard. Do you have any other aspects to your personality? No. <laughs> and I, I love Die Hard. It's a great movie. It's, it's one of the best movies of all time. But fuck's sake, people, stop saying that. We get it. We get it. It's a film set at Christmas. There, therefore, you pick it as your Christmas movie. Yeah. None of that elf shit for me, boys. I'm manly. I, my 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 Christmas movie has a gun and people getting shot. Yeah. Jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> um but yeah, Die, Die Hard's a great movie and and it was so so revolutionary at the time that it did lead to lots and lots of copycats and those copycats continue through to today. Um, so, like, I wouldn't say that we're anywhere near the peak of diehard clones. <laughs> this is, and they continue this is to haunt Bruce Willis as if he weren't already a ghost. Exactly. Um, yeah, and and yeah, I, I I'd watch Final Score. Yes. Dave Bautista, I... you know, Dave Bautista shooting up, shooting up some people, fighting some people. Pierce Brosnan, Brosnaning about. I will watch anything with Pierce Brosnan in it. That is a cast iron guarantee. Even um, Taffin. <laughs> have you watched taffin with me have we watched taffin together i've seen it but i don't think i've seen it with you (laughs) it's a great movie i think i watched it with my very patient wife (laughs) (laughs) who was very did not like it my lasting memory is that there's a fight in a pub and someone blows up a shed (laughs) those are my two (laughs) memories of that film i know that was um that was our second year of university Oh dear. We don't talk about the shed. <laughs> Shedgate. Shedgate. Um but yeah, so so high fidelity. <laughs> let's let's get this back on track. Um, yeah. is, um, is he's not always a die-hard listening plane. Sadly not. It's a film in which every time a man listens to music on headphones, he's using a fucking curly cable. Oh, why do they exist? <laughs> I hate them so much. They're the worst. But they but they don't really exist anymore, do they? You don't really see them around apart from with people who want to look cool. Yeah, and who um, fail at it. <laughs> Be careful I think you I, don't get... You're, you're getting dangerously close to musical elitism here, Paddy. Oh, Take sorry, a step the back. Jack White and the bloke from the Black Keys are going to come and beat me up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, and and I, I'd say that the, the, the best thing about this movie is... is is the way that it tries to play with the unreliable narrator. So I, I think this film, it tries to set out what's real and what's not by having his his monologues still having that unreliability. But then when you see the real world scenes, that then is the reliable aspect. So when he's hmm. visiting the exes, you see that the pain that he caused them is real or that the fact that the the relationship just naturally didn't pan out is real yeah Um, and the flaws of each and every character they're all real yeah for sure and that's um 
that's what it does really well is to juxtapose those two things. So the na- that his narration is often actually quite at odds with what is going on in the other scenes, which is great. And it's good when it crosses over and someone tells him to go and fuck himself because <laughs> you think, yeah, you deserve it. But I still want to keep watching you because I'm interested to hear what your top five things are. I'm interested to see what happens next. And did that X happen? And th- this this kind of thing. Or, you know, is Catherine Zeta-Jones actually awful? Turns out, yes. It <laughs> turns out, yes, yeah, she is. Um, and um, and yeah, and I think that the 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 way that it um, that and, and like the one of the main reasons that you kind of keep watching as well is to see that it'll have that click and that redemption and and realize that the way that he's living is not sustainable to maintain the kind of happiness that he wants to achieve, um, and and eventually he does, and I, I and I wouldn't say that it's satisfying. I'd say it's still a little bit problematic the way that it deals with it, but. Yeah it feels quite real still yeah you've got that scene before the party scene where um where barry sings and they do let's get it on and it's actually all good and um (laughs) there's the scene between rob and laura in the pub where he's like would you ever get married and she's like i don't know maybe even though if you feel like maybe he wasn't the one you expected to say that and it's still like he's still finding his way he's still fumbling but you know that the foundations are there and that they'll get there eventually yeah it's it's a shit piece trying to find redemption effectively <laughs> and 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 you feel it and you want it to happen because you can see that he is at least trying to understand what has gone wrong and then that shifts into trying to understand what he has done wrong yeah and then trying to find a solution which is something that you don't often see in these kind of movies the worst example is there's that fucking awful uh Zach Braff movie called is it called the last kiss garden state no not garden state garden state is the is the idiots elizabeth town anyway just putting that on record here <laughs> fuck that movie <laughs> fuck it right in the ear um i think we need to talk about this. That's, <laughs> we, yeah we can watch that at another time i don't have fond memories of that movie i remember lots of people thinking it's great and then watching it and thinking these guys are dicks it's good because it's got the shins in it yeah, I you know didn't you know how everybody suddenly became a fan of the Shins after watching that movie as well. Yeah, and like they're the best band in the world. It's like, well, they're good, but come on, they're a they're, very good band. But yeah, they're not Guns and Roses, are they? AKA, genuinely the best band yeah. in the world. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. They <laughs> they they don't shred. They don't. Yeah, rock. Where, where's Slash? I want him to turn up in the middle of Garden State soundtrack, <laughs> standing on a mountain, shredding. Yeah. Um, Although, have you seen Axl Rose recently? <laughs> I saw a, I saw a tweet that compared him to an uncooperative primary school receptionist. <laughs> which I, 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 I un, think un, he looks unfair, like somebody. I, I think he looks like someone got caught in the machine from The Fly. Apart from it was an overweight man and a pug. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I love I I still love Axl. I still love Guns N' Roses. And and he was touring with ACDC, wasn't he, briefly? Really? He was filling in as their singer, and apparently he did a phenomenal job. So he's still, got, he's still got something. He might not be good for Guns N' Roses anymore, but he's still got a quality of voice that can't really be rivaled. Yeah, he's got a great voice. You can't, you can't argue with that. And yeah, they're all great musicians and stuff. I'd go and see them, for sure. Yeah, but a bit of Guns N' Roses. I'd, I'd just go and see Slash. Slash, yeah. Slash is still excellent i did see him play once with the band velvet revolver and that was very good yeah they were they were all right actually on velvet 
which is which is basically the dudes from Guns N' Roses, but with Scott Weiland as the front man, and he's now dead. God rest his soul. He is, yes. We lost a lot of... I mean, apart from Eddie Vedder, all of the great grunge singers are now gone, aren't they? This is true. I was thinking about this recently because, as you know, we um, I run a small comics publisher called Good Comics, and our flagship thing is an anthology zine called Dead Singers Society, and we're, I was today laying out volume four to which we got lots of really really good submissions but i um i've written a little piece about chris cornell for it and i was thinking about this yeah so many of the great grunge singers are all gone now so when veda goes that's gonna be yeah that's gonna be a biggie because i mean obviously you, you lost lane staley and um and kurt cobain early on yeah yeah um but then you've got you've got scott whalen has gone chris cornell's gone and the whole reason well one of the reasons that um Pearl Jam came about was from members of the band Mother Lovebone who split because their singer Andrew Wood died I think in like 1990 mm. um, and they were sort of early on like proto grunge and could have been the biggest band in the world if he hadn't died like when you listen to their stuff it's got that real raw energy and I did a piece about him for volume one of that scene incidentally and you did a piece about Chester Bennington for volume four I have so, indeed all to all to look forward to which is a very good piece by the way oh thank you very much Yes, it's quite it's quite a heartfelt one, I'd say. Yeah, so I try to try to convey. It is so high fidelity didn't pay you know enough attention to singers being dead, in my opinion. No, <laughs> not out of twenty. Yeah, not enough about dead singers. Not morbid enough. Um, Although but... there is the scene where he's at Laura's funeral and he turns around to the camera and does his like top funeral songs. So that that was good. Yeah, and and, and there are those moments of like. It's always compelling when he speaks directly to the audience in a way that these films don't always manage to to translate. Um, but whenever, and I, and I think it's it's partly to do with how interesting John Cusack is an as an actor, um, and how sort of compelling he is in this kind of character to watch. Um, but yeah, it, it works really well in that regard. And so so whenever it, whichever way it switches, I think it's still interesting, whether it's through the narration side or through the more dramatic side. Yeah, for sure. Although that's just reminded me that after the funeral, they basically they basically get back together because her dad dies and then they have sex in her car, which I did think was kind of dubious. Well, I think uh, the the way that they explain it is that she's kind of they neither of them sure what's going to happen. Both of them want it. And she kind of says she's too tired and she's had too much change in her life. And it's like, OK, I can kind of get that. Yeah, it's 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 not completely far fetched, but it's a little a little bit dubious. It feels a little bit Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's enough to point it out in comparison to sort of like some of the other stuff that happens in the film. I, I think it's a very, I think it's a very real reaction to to that level of grief and yeah. and difficult circumstances where you're on well, for something that's already in the balance as to whether they in in terms of that will they won't they get back together. Um, it's I could, I more believable. It's more believable than him sleeping with the sexy soul singer. Yes, exactly. I'd, I'd say that's less likely to happen. <laughs> Which they conveniently don't really. They don't show much of the build up to, but it's still. It's yeah. It's all right. It's there. It happens. Then it's over. Yeah, and then yeah, this kind of like his weird obsession with whether she has slept with Tim Robbins or not, and then yeah, or his kind of obsession with sex it is kind of a good 
way of skewering the male obsession with sex i thought yeah i think it does a really good job of it and i and i think that's again it's an area where a lot of people who go into this movie and particularly those who go into the book which i think is a as i said before i think the book is a little bit little bit more muddled in how it deals with it but i think there's still that intention there to try and get to the heart of what it means to be uh, or i i suppose modern day what you'd say about it is it's a story about toxic masculinity in a kind of personality where they don't believe they can be impacted by toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, like so he thinks he's not, he's not like that. Yeah. He, the, the, these are, are indie people. These are outcasts from the bro scene. These are outcasts from, you know, these guys aren't jocks. They're not the best athletes. Therefore they could not be part of that toxic masculine culture, but instead they're conveying it in a different way much like they always do so you look at sexism within music you look at sexism that's portrayed by these kind of indie kids you look at sexism within tech culture and within geek circles um there's that toxic masculinity everywhere and it rears its head in different ways you look at the entire incel movement for instance where the entire thing is about not being a jock therefore being unable to get a woman to have sex with you yeah it's like big because you think that because you're not the stereotypical idea of an attractive man that that means that you can't possibly be like a masculinist person and it can't be problematic for you yeah which is rubbish obviously yeah and and, and that's i think is that and that's what i found refreshing about rewatching this movie is i saw it there at the time but found that a lot of people got caught up in the 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 more romanticized ideas of of music and pain yeah um but re-watching it it felt perhaps even stronger this time for me at yeah. least um, yeah me me too because as i said i went into it thinking that it might not have aged as well as i wanted it to and was pleasantly surprised and having those kind of pleasant surprises with a film is a rare and wonderful thing actually yeah i'd say i'd say it it because I, I went into it being a little bit worried because it's been a very long time since i saw this movie same and i thought oh no is it gonna is this gonna be a load of old pretentious wank yeah and and because the, the idea of living your life through lists is a big theme of it and a kind of a thing that people often latch on to and talk about and it is fun as well the book especially there's a lot of lot more vignette and listy and focusing on that but again that aspect of it is actually not that big a deal really no um it and and it kind of breaks it down in a much more personal way and the way that it's in the way that it shows those lists as well so although that is that big emphasis here it doesn't feel as bad yeah and instead it's kind of used as a tool to help you understand the character instead of it being the the purest of plot devices yeah that's right it's a device of characterization and not plot and that's why it works so yeah it's it's clever i like it i think they did a good job of of um of converting the book to film and i think it stood the test of time quite well it has, yeah. It's surprisingly well worth a rewatch for sure. And if you've never seen it, great. You don't have to have read the book by any means. I know we've talked about the book a lot, but only pick up the book. I think maybe watch actually watch the film first, and if you if you like it a lot, then visit the book to see it as the source material. But no, just dive right in. I reckon. Yeah, I don't think you need to have read the book to enjoy this movie. And I think, although it's very faithful, I think it changes things around in as much a way that I it's it can be seen as its own text you don't have to have done the background reading to understand it yeah plus this plus this way around the character has a much cooler name yeah the best name the the best name so a a lot of people 
when when I told them their name back when high fidelity was a big deal when you um, told them their name when when, when, <laughs> when I told them my name you there um, your name is <laughs> well that's how me, we met wasn't it I yeah. came up to you and said your name is Reginald Flake and you went no it's not <laughs> it's oh, like shit. how did you know <laughs> um and um and yeah so when so when when this movie was kind of big particularly when I was at university around saying oh yeah my my name's Rob um and eventually they got on to finding out my surname they're like oh yeah like the guy from high fidelity hey aren't yeah. you a miserable guy who likes music are you like rob gordon like, yeah <laughs> and i th- i genuinely thought that as a consequence of that that you would hate this film and that you would be approaching it with at least kind of weariness and it seems like you've enjoyed it so i'm glad about that yeah i can separate it out and and I, you know, I've I've had very difficult moments, as as you're well aware, and I can see aspects of myself in in Rob Gordon in this movie, and can see that if if I hadn't had the wherewithal to try and change things in my own life, I may well have ended up going down a similar path. Not in terms of owning my own record store, because fucking hell, I'd never be able to do that. <laughs> um, but but in terms of having those kind of detachments and and maintaining that kind of association with music and losing myself in the the romance of music i could see that happening quite easily if i if i hadn't made the decisions i made throughout my life to try and work on things in a different way so i so i can it's kind of perhaps even better that the character has the same name as me because it's kind of you get that reflection i suppose i'm really glad about that i could definitely see you organizing your record collection in an autobiographical way (laughs) um the these are top five records i listened to before doing a podcast yeah who let the dogs out Baha <laughs> man. <laughs> low rider low rider steal my sunshine by len i mean that's literally in every single one of my top five lists anyway i love that song yeah um what else um it wasn't me by shaggy um yep <laughs> i hate that song so much awful awful song <laughs> what does what does shaggy order when he goes to a japanese restaurant wasabi <laughs> yep <laughs> and then they call him mr bombastic <laughs> um who's who's uh shaggy's favorite member of the red hot chili peppers flea it is a flea Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Hopefully, the man responsible for the slap bass in a you know billions of teenage bass players bed, bedroom <laughs> dreams no or should it be the the man responsible for the the incongruous slap bass playing in every teenage rock band <laughs> I love a bit of slap bass he has got a lot to answer for as old flea but uh, red hot chili peppers they get a bit of a bad rap now but deservedly so but you know you listen back to like blood sex sugar magic that was their last still good a, album still a stonker of an album i'd say there's some good stuff on californication and and what was the one where dave navarro was the guitarist oh yeah no that's the the 90s one with the, the um roller coaster of love and um all that on it yeah where they yeah no i like that that album was good and Cal- um, California okay. Californication's good, and and I quite like By the Way as well. It's got that Zephyr nah. song on it. Oh, I fucking hate that song. 
that song, that song is terrible. It just sounds like wafting a fart. <laughs> Everything about it sounds paper thin and half-hearted and just... Ugh. But actually, uh, yeah, against my odds, I always find myself liking that one Can't Stop if it comes oh, on. Oh, yeah, that's a great little tune. Yeah, but no, By the Way is awful. Zephyr Song is awful. There's a couple of good ones on Californication. But yeah, the 80s like funky psychedelic stuff is really good. And then, um, I know that's a hipster thing to say, but yeah, but then the other funky stuff on Blood Sugar Sex Magic is good. But yeah, the stuff after that is just, just very, very poor and boring. I've, I've got no, I've got no problem with them. And I think they're a band that's been going for so long and been so successful that they've earned the right to do whatever the fuck they want. That's true. And, and hey, they're still going. How many bands around that have been going for as long as they have are still, are still sort of functioning? You've got like The Cure. You got Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's true, and same same lineup as well, apart from that Dave Navarro stint. And they had a different guitarist in the eighties before John Frusciante. Yeah, they did. But who died, I think. Yes. But um, but before since then, they've basically had the same lineup. So that's got Metallica. Good. Metallica, yep. But in general, you don't. But get Metallica, many I wouldn't go and see Metallica now because they they sing everything like down a tone and a half, and it sounds fucking awful. Because they can't sing anymore. <laughs> That's all right, though. No, lo- lo- you know... lots of bands, lots of bands do that. Nine Inch Nails do that with a few songs. Oh no, I don't like it. I can't deal with it. It only works with a very, very select number of songs, like songs played in the key to which I am not used to hearing them. Don't like it, or at least nine times out of ten, I don't like it. Do you not remember me like almost fist fighting with Rob Sherman about this? <laughs> No, I do not. Because he always used to just like play songs like in completely different keys, and I'd just be like, "What are you doing? No, you can't do that." <laughs> well, if you do that, surely you can just change the lyrics around, call yourself Lana Del Rey, and then make a record out of it. <laughs> yeah, call yourself Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've I've got no I've got no problem with artists themselves changing it to a lower key to allow them to continue singing songs that they can't handle anymore i do have a bit of a problem with random people deciding that they're going to do a bit of a key change just for the sake of it yeah but i think i think there's some cases where it does work um so i i messed around with a few um like taylor swift songs and we're just playing around it's like oh yeah that's fine but yeah it's got to be a very select kind of song and a very select kind of way that you do it i think to make it work yeah for sure and apparently you too um bono just like decides what pitch he wants to sing at each night and then they tune the guitars to his voice have you heard that before (laughs) i've not which is um fucking ludicrous that that sounds very similar to sonic youth when when sonic youth bless them are still around they they basically just had all of their like instruments that they toured with in a random tuning and that's what they played all of their songs in so every time you saw them it would be different and nothing was tuned to the way that it was on records see i like that because that's that's a thing that's making an artistic statement and also they on the records they're like it's like let's tune every string of the guitar to a yes yeah sonic (laughs) youth Youth are one of those awesome bands i I love genuinely amazing um yeah, I, I, Sonic Youth have put out some of my favourite. If I had a top five Sonic Youth albums, I'd probably have a hard time. Yeah. A top five of them. They're brilliant. 
Very good. And they're not mentioned in High Fidelity, are they? I feel like there's a reference to them in the book. But... Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that meant being mentioned in the film. Yeah. The 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 posters up in his apartment are all of very hipster bo- hipster bands, which is good. Like pavement and the ladybug transistor and stuff. Yeah, pavement are like the de facto hipster band, aren't they? Yeah. I I really like pavement. I think they're great, but yeah, there's that kind of that image about them, isn't there? It's yeah, it's like them and it, everybody likes pavement and everybody likes Bill Hicks. The, <laughs> it's impossible thing, it? to dislike Bill Hicks. Yeah. Mainly cuz he's dead. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, but I I think it does a really good way of capturing that kind of scene as well, doesn't it though? Everything feels very authentic. Yeah, definitely. You see that going to shows and seeing singers and unexpectedly crying at a Peter Frampton song. That's yeah, that that's quite good as well because yeah, his own snobbery gets the better of him, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um it's yeah, it's it's done well. I like it. It's good. I like the um the skate punks who steal from the shop and then it turns out they have they're in like a really good band called the Kinky Wizards. <laughs> yes. And both of them look like actors who are in other things, but aren't. Like, I looked them up by thinking, where have I seen those guys before? And I actually haven't seen them anywhere. They've both just got, like, recognisable faces. Oh, right. Okay. So they, they didn't go on to do... No, bits and pieces of TV work and stuff, but no other major film roles. The same with, actually, the um, the female lead, whose name I cannot pronounce, Iban Hijedjli. It's a um, Scandinavian name that I don't know how to pronounce. But I feel like, actually... Her performance in this film is the weakest and the least faithful to the book. She's kind of wooden. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a problem with her. I thought I didn't have I a problem with was... her, but her performance didn't grab me. Really, I thought it. I thought it was fine, but yeah, maybe not. But in the book, the character's much more sort of like generic in that way as well. I suppose there's not. Yeah, really I would not say that her. in either text she's well, a well-written character. I'd say that the sure. rest of the exes that are portrayed in the in the book and in the film are much more sort of vibrant in their characterization. Yeah, for sure. But she didn't go on to stardom after this film either. At least well, not I in think, kind of I think big budget of, Hollywood terms. I think a lot of what she did was more back in Denmark. Right. Um and she's in there's this there's a show on um on Netflix called The Rain. Um, which came out this year, um, oh. which I watched the first episode of, and that's quite good. It's a kind of post-apocalyptic um, thing about like viruses and rain and shit, you know, kind of post-apocalyptic drama TV hmm. show, and that's quite good. That sounds good. And um, yeah, but I think a lot of what she did was back in Denmark. Cool. Um, that's which fair would enough. Be why. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, yeah, I like those punk kids, the kinky wizards. And then at the end, in the um, where it's like the launch party for their single, but they're not performing live because who knows why. They're like in the DJ booth while um, Jack Black is singing and they're stealing records again from the DJ yes. booth. <laughs> that tickled me. Yeah, it was, it was neat. And yeah, I don't know why why they're not performing live. Yeah, it's never quite clear. Maybe they can't. Maybe they they fake the whole thing. <laughs> yeah it's just a rip-off yeah so that that's good and yeah the little interactions and funny bits really kind of carry it 
like the first scene <laughs> where you, you meet Dick and Barry. They're like arguing about music and you go, bullshit. And <laughs> the exasperated John Cusack going, how can it be bullshit to state a preference? <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a mantra for the Twitter generation. Yes, exactly. So just remember that. It's not it's not <laughs> bullshit to state a preference. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. That's good. Do you have any uh, trivia? Yeah, so um this movie contains three Oscar winners. Wow. Um it's got Tim Robbins, Catherine mm-hmm. Zeta Jones, and Bruce Springsteen. Oh, Bruce Springsteen, um, of and, course. And, and now he's not in the book. No, and that's why the film is instantly better as well. Yeah. Um and and also won Oscar nominee. Joan Cusack's been nominated for an Oscar. Wait, she Where? hasn't won. What's that? What's that? Sorry, she hasn't won. No, she she got nominated but didn't win. That's a crime. She should have won an Oscar. And and where's 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 John Cusack's Oscar nomination? I'd expect I him to have been nominated yeah. for something. Joan Cusack's performance in School of Rock actually is Oscar worthy, in my opinion. I really like that film. I don't care who knows it. Yeah, me too. I will defend that film to the death. Um and, um, and yeah, I'd I'd say that. I'd say that, I mean, come on, John Cusack must have done something that was worthy of getting nominated for an Oscar. This is good. Gross yeah. Point Blank is a great movie. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. Gross Point Blank? I have not, no. That's a, that's a good little film. Um, a An international assassin goes back to his high school reunion. It's, oh, wow. It's really sweet and silly at the same time. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good little fun flick, that one. Yeah. He's in Being John Malkovich... 2012 oh say anything we talked about that quite early on didn't we we did that's an interesting film yeah well yeah that's the thing although they do kind of do that with films don't they where like the film that wins the oscar is that that they win best actor for isn't necessarily the best film that they've done but it's their turn like gary oldman winning it for the boring churchill film it's his turn yeah, um, that movie can fuck off. <laughs> I haven't even seen it, but I, it I haven't. Definitely... I haven't seen it either, but it can fuck off. I'm so bored <laughs> of those kind of films. It can definitely fuck. I'm right so off. any like like you know I I bloody love old uh, Ryan Gosling. You know he's a he's a good yeah he's a good boy. Has, has he won an Oscar? He I must don't know. have done. But but he's he's gunning for an Oscar because he's in the movie about Neil Armstrong, the first man oh, on the moon. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I have no interest in what I have no interest in watching that movie. I, I so, saw the trailer and I didn't expect to be captivated, but I was. I saw it and I thought, this is a load of old guff. <laughs> I, I'm so bored of, of movies about real people. I'm so bored of it. Gimme give, hey, give me but, something fictional. But Rob Gordon's a real person. <laughs> Where's the movie about me? Not some fake Rob Gordon. <laughs> now, hang on. You 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 say this, but you also weren't into La La Land, so I I think you yeah. I think this is a double standard here for me. <laughs> if we if we're gonna talk Ryan Gosling, <laughs> I just want Ryan Gosling to be in movies like Drive and The Place Beyond the Pines between now and the end of time. You want every film to be drive, basically. I want every film to have someone wearing a scorpion jacket hitting people in the head with a hammer. <laughs> Is that so much to ask? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we ask for simple things, don't we? <laughs> exactly. 
um yeah i i i i just find those kind of movies so boring though what the the space film or what was the churchill the churchill one i'd i'd much rather watch the space one than the churchill one well yeah because it's space you know that's cool but i'd still have very little interest in seeing about these kind of things if it's i wanted to find out what happened space. i just go on wikipedia read up about it probably more accurate than the movie that they make yeah this and like, is true and like i i find that they can do something more interesting when it's about the creation of a phenomenon um so like the social network isn't a biopic about mark zuckerberg it's about the creation of of this social network and in essence about the creation of of social media as a whole it's mostly about kind of how it. much the, the winklevoss twins enjoyed rowing <laughs> well yes <laughs> exactly why it's a 20 out of 20 in my book yeah um but but yeah but, but like films like that and like churchill and the king's speech and all of that stuff i'm just like oh oh yeah the king's speech I feel like I saw the King's Speech with you in the cinema. Possibly? Do you remember this? I don't know. I think I saw it with you and Rob Sherman. And there's a bit where um, the, the the stuttering king arrives for his elocution lesson and there's a small child in there before him and the child's name is Willie. And when the speech man dismisses him, he says, Marvellous Willie, and we all laughed. <laughs> that does sound very familiar, actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think we were visiting you and we went to the Cine Megaplex in Crawley to see it. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it says a lot about the quality of the King's Speech as a whole that I have no memory of that. <laughs> yeah, really an incredibly memorable film. <laughs> I, I have literally no memory of that film. Yeah, it's just, it's boring. Boring guff. Yeah, and and that's what that's my thing about biopics. Like, yeah, make an interesting movie. There was a rumour today that was going around that turned out to be fake that Bruno Mars was going to play Prince in a biopic. And I was oh, like, what the fuck, man? That would have been strange. Purple Rain already exists. Let's not <laughs> He's trample on its memory. <laughs> yeah. As, um, weir- as weird as it is, that film is kind of his biopic. Yeah, it is. It, it effectively is. It's his, it's his origin yeah. story, kind of. Did you know there's a sort of semi-sequel as well? Graffiti Bridge. Graffiti Bridge. Yeah, and it goes with the album that Graffiti Bridge that came out a couple of years after Purple Rain. It wasn't as well received, but I think I am going to force it on you at some point. Was it just about a bridge covered in graffiti? Pretty much. And Prince is the one doing the graffiti. So he's so been it, a bad boy. He's been a bad boy. Is Prince again? Is Prince in it again? Yeah, yeah. I think Oh he my god, re- I'm looking at the poster to this movie now. That is a bad poster. <laughs> I think he reprises the role of the kid as he's called the in, kid um... is now club owner and yeah. rival to morris who gets into a fight for the grand slam nightclub yeah i've never seen it but i want this to. nonsense oh god i've just seen that poster yeah that looks like a gcse media studies project <laughs> that's extremely not good should we sh- we should maybe just watch every and then, yeah morris is in the corner he looks like he's taking a shit <laughs> I would put this in the show notes. Um, and there's also a film. Sorry, just welcome to Prince in Films Cast. There's also a film called Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Yeah, I've not seen. I that haven't either. seen that either. But I know it's got Kristen Scott Thomas in it. Yeah, who, who's awesome. 
and then Prince directed it as well. That is definitely came, a I good think, sign. Yeah, it's in black and white, and it's like a sort of film noir thing. It looks it looks awful, but great. That is that is impressive. Um, so so in terms of other um, other trivia, did you know that? Uh, Disney, for its streaming service that it's working on, is doing a TV series of High Fidelity, apart from I, making it a female lead. I did hear about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, so very interested to see year. how this goes. Um, and I'd be—it's intriguing, but I'm a bit concerned about how well they'd deal with the themes of the film because the end uh, of the book, I suppose, as well. But the fi- the film is so good at dissecting toxic masculinity. Yeah. That I wonder whether the TV show is just going to become that kind of idealization of the lists. If it's got a female lead in it, they can't really do it in the same way. So yes. is it instead going to just pick up on the glorification, which is kind of what the public consciousness of high fidelity is, I yes. suppose, is about pain and music. And th- is it really going to get to the crux of what makes the movie interesting? Or is it going to take kind of the basic idea of getting in touch with your exes? Maybe is it going to go down that road or is it going to focus more on the record store element? Because this nobody can own a record store now because, you know, to have basic to have like flunked out of university now and be able to do that, you just it would just be impossible. So are they setting it now? Are they setting it like back then? Are they setting it in a different time? All of that stuff remains to be seen. But I'm very intrigued by the idea. And there are a lot of different ways you could play it. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued, but I'm a little bit concerned. I'm not going to go into that excited um, because I think it might lose a lot of what I think works best about the source material and about the first movie. And instead, I'm a bit concerned that it might go down the more romanticised route, which is not what I want. Yeah, that would be the kind of cheap and easy way to do it, I guess. Yeah, and that that's what I'm concerned about. Particularly if it comes to dragging it out to the length of the entire TV series. Yeah. I mean, you just know they're going to put a load of CGI orcs in there. <laughs> hey, I would go for that. <laughs> Back to the shadow. Other members of the Chicago punk scene. <laughs> and some bad CGI wolves, you know. Yeah, exactly. Why not some wolf boys? Um, so so that'll do from the uh, from the trivia perspective, I think. Um, so have yeah. you got anything else to say about the movie? Uh, nope. Just to say that I enjoyed it more than I was expecting to. There are you know elements of it that potentially allow for the glorification of mediocrity, but overall, it has aged surprisingly well, and it's a great and very enjoyable film on a number of levels. I like it. Yes, it's good. So, how would you? How would you rank this? Oh yeah, you need some kind of list thing, I guess. Mm. How top top twenty? Yeah, where do you where does your list of top twenty things about this film that you enjoy? Yeah, this isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> what I really want to do is turn to the camera and go top twenty things about high fidelity. Um, top well. Top 20 lists of lists of lists. Top 20 lists of pretentious bullshit. (laughs) I give this film 16 lists. I'm going to give it 16 as well, actually. Ah, and we did that last week as well. I know. Yeah. 
we need we need to watch something really divisive next <laughs> well it is your choice so you get to um you know it what fuck it choice. i'm going 17 to mix things up a bit oh uh, okay fine this movie's good and watch it <laughs> yeah i thought you might go there after um yeah after how you you said you enjoyed it so much let's see so i got 16 17 okay fine see now that i'm looking at under the cherry moon i kind of want us to watch that next <laughs> Are you? How are you feeling about that? Are you ready for some some vintage prints? Or... Mate, let's just check in with Minnie. Oh yeah, what did Minnie, she think? What do you reckon? Oh, she's trying to bite oh, me. She's trying to bite you. I think that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, she's clawing. She's, she's properly clawing. clawing at I'm that not hand. sure. I'm not sure if it's a good idea, or maybe that is a sign. Yeah, you should have watched it already, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, she loves it. Prints in black and white is the cat's favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think I actually want to go back to the Netflix originals and do that one that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which is Sierra Burgess is a loser because it just came out. And in the interest of keeping things timely, I think that will help. And it looks really good and really interesting. Sweet. That sounds good to me. So let's hit that one up next. Got to be, got to be down with the kids, you know? We've got to, we've got to get hip and trendy. How do you do fellow kids? (laughs) Do you still listen to Stiff Little Fingers? <laughs> or The Green Day? The Green Day. I don't know about you, but I'm having a green day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't remember where it was, but I saw a guy, um, I think it might have been in an airport, wearing a, the t-shirt of, that um, Steve Buscemi is wearing in that scene that just says music band on it. And it's got like a little <laughs> lightning bolt. Oh, I want that impressive. t-shirt. I want that t-shirt and then a, a baseball cap that just says sports on it. <laughs> See, I, I kind of want an entire wardrobe made up of the different like slogan shirts that Mac from Always Sunny in Philadelphia owns. Yeah. My dad's got the Bird Law one <sighs> and Paddy's Pub. He's got quite a few Sunny t-shirts, actually. I don't know I if did, he's got I, I did see one milk. the other day. <laughs> Fight milk. Um, I did see one the other day that was, you know, the Run DMC logo. Yeah, it was that, but rum ham. <laughs> yes, thought, I've seen that. That's very thought, good. Oh, I really want that. Um, yeah, I, I refrained in the end, but that was a that was a tempting purchase. That is excellent. Now I'm going to get the fight milk one. Oh, fight milk, and I'm going to wear it. Actually, I've um, see, because I'm trying to live my life like a. A female romantic lead in a mid two thousands comedy romantic comedy film. I have started going to spin class. Oh right, okay. So I think I need some kind of vest to wear to my spin class because right now I'm wearing my Toronto Blue Jays top because it's actually the only kind of like sweat sweat resistant top that I have. Um, but yeah, I think I need a fight milk vest for that. Oh, do it, mate. Do it because it turns out spin class where I go, all dudes. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. But it's great. It's actually very enjoyable. My um, my main, well, I, I say my main source of exercise, but actually I, I go on an exercise bike every day and I've got a long walk into work and things like that. But my primary source of exercise is we bought the cat, this little, it's like a sort of T-shaped tunnel. Um, and my primary exercise is as I walk near that, running as fast as I can past it because the cat is invariably inside it and will immediately pounce and try and attack my feet as soon as I get near <laughs> So you'll just yeah, see the old foot attack. You'll hear this. You'll hear this half second of rustling, and then suddenly this brown, fluffy blur will pounce out at you and wrap itself around your leg. 
Um, which yes, which she has a lot of fun with. That sounds like very dangerous work. It is. It's you know every day in this house, I wonder if I'm going to survive with the cat. Yeah, it's a it's a daily struggle. It is. It is. All right. Well, we'll let all of you lovely listeners get back to your daily struggles today. Um, all we have to say is, as always, thank you very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you like what we do, leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you get your pods. Help us climb those charts. Be much appreciated. Yeah. What are your top five things you like about this podcast? Yes, that would be a nice list, actually. Who, who are your top five Rob Gordons? <laughs> yeah, in history. <laughs> yeah. Top five Paddy Johnstons. Is it me? Is your favourite me or is your favourite the erotic photographer from New York? <laughs> or the executive chauffeur you know these are the other people i have found on google when googling myself see there's been quite a few uh robert gordons and rob gordons and robbie gordons so i think i'd have my work cut out to be the number one rob gordon um so there's the old rockabilly singer you've got guy from high fidelity um you've got someone who won the indy 500 as well robbie gordon so there's been quite a lot so I'm not sure how successful I would be in that ranking. But I believe in you guys, you know, and, and dear listeners, just let me know if I am your number one Rob Gordon. Yeah, he needs to know right now. Tweet us at Big Boys Don't Pod with your lists, please. Yeah, do it. Yeah. All right. Until then, we'll be back next week to talk about Sierra Burgess is a loser. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>